Hello. Hi. You look great today. Um, welcome to episode two of the January Lilith Warrior Cats project, um, featuring me, uh, January Lilith. Um, yeah, this is the podcast where I talk about warrior cats, and that's pretty much, um, what the podcast is. Um, so why don't we, from here, just just move on to, to doing the podcast, go s- transition swiftly and, and seamlessly from introducing the podcast to being the podcast. And I have exciting news, which is that we are all already the podcast. Um, let's start off with um, a usual introduction. Uh, what are you drinking today? Uh, and I'd like to know what you're drinking, so please, I don't know, tweet at me, email me, leave a comment if you're if you're watching this in a place that allows for comments. I don't really know much about this podcasting thing. I just kind of, I just kind of showed up, and 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 everyone else was doing it. Um, but I have a fairly boring one today. I'm just drinking water, just plain old water. I had an iced coffee earlier this morning which was quite nice, but, um, yeah, haven't been in a mood for anything fancy today. Uh, just gonna keep my throat nice and slimy for, um, podcasting purposes so that the little, the little podcast elves can slip in and out of my throat and deliver my thoughts from my brain to your ears, uh, which as we all know is how podcasting works. Um, so today is episode two, so we are reading number two, um, the second book in the first Warrior Cat series, uh, The Prophecies Begin, also just known as The Warriors, um, and it is called Fire and Ice, um, and because the nature of this show is that I read a Warrior Cats book and then I'll also do a different thing and then talk about both of them, um, I'm also going to be talking about a second piece of media today, which is the Netflix reality TV show, The Ultimatum, hosted by Nick and Vanessa Lachey. Uh, so we will get to that. We will, we will get to my thoughts about The Ultimatum and how they may or may not have anything to do with the Warrior Cats series, or this book in particular. Um, but we've, without further ado, because we've, we've adoed enough already, uh, let's, uh, let's adon't. Uh, let's, let's get straight to the meat of it all. Um, so yeah, this book is called Fire and Ice. It starts, um, to my surprise, um, there is a, a brief introduction which um, gets at the nature of um, the Wind Clan cats, who are sort of the one clan of cats we haven't really heard anything from in the last book. They kind of got chased away and, and just were non-presences. So we get a little intro from their perspective, and then we actually start the book literally the day after Into the Wild, um, which is which is fun, um, you know, set us off right, right on the right track. Um, but we start off with a bit of politics. Basically, um, there's a new... Uh, the end of the last book was um, Broken Star, who was sort of the evil Shadow Clan leader, got chased out. Um, there's a new Shadow Clan leader now. His name is, or will soon be, uh, Nightstar. Um, and also there's a, like a little bit of politicking. River Clan and Shadow Clan are both kind of like, well, like we should just, Wind Clan's gone, and we kind of like that because that gives us more food. Thunder Clan is like, no, they're supposed to be four clans for a reason. Um, and they don't give a very good reason, but, you know, wanting the other clans to survive seems pretty, uh, seems pretty important, and so... Almost immediately, Blue Star comes back to Fireheart, and Graystripe are two 
uh, our main character and his best friend, um, send them on an important mission, which is to bring Wind Clan back and let them know that their their home is is safe to be occupied again. Uh, which they do. That sort of occupies the first like quarter to a third of the, this book. Is just a long, ex- a long journey of like um, Fireheart and Graystripe going to find the Wind Clan cats and then coming back. I'd say the only real noteworthy thing that happens here is they do run into um, everyone's favorite um, homosexual life partners, um, Barley the loner cat and Ravenpaw the former ThunderClan cat who got chased out, and they just kind of hang out and catch up, which is nice. We get to see we get to see Ravenpaw just kind of chilling, which is good. Um, on their way back, um, they're all tired, and so they do a terribly stupid thing. Um, which is, um, they're like, why don't we just, like, sneak through RiverClan territory, um, which is, like, you know, already a bad idea because you, we just went through this whole thing about how all the clans are really on edge and, like, River and ShadowClan are, are kind of looking for any excuse to, to fuck up WindClan's whole deal. Um, but yeah, so the, we just go through RiverClan territory. Uh, they go through this big gorge. There's a big fight where with uh, Fireheart, Graystripe, and the WindClan cats on one side, and a bunch of RiverClan cats on the other side. And this is the part where accidentally, um, and then some more ThunderClan cats show up, but accidentally uh, Graystripe uh, throws off someone who is on his back, and that is the warrior White Claw, one of the greatest named warriors in the series. Um, Hard Seltzer is thrown into the gorge and immediately killed. Um, Rest in peace, White Claw. Um, pour one out, by which I mean, of course, pour out a cider. Um, so they get back, um, and Blue Star's like, listen, you did good. I mean, not the, not the killing White Claw thing, that was sus, but, like, the rest of it was good. Um, so we're gonna give you both apprentices to work with. Um, so Fireheart and Graystripe get a sister-brother pair of apprentices. Um, Firestar, or Fireheart takes on Cinderpaw, and Graystripe takes on Brackenpaw. Cinderpaw is, like, you know, very eager and enthusiastic, and she just loves to, like, explore and get her nose and everything, and Brackenpaw is, like, you know, cautious and wary and mature, um, and all that stuff. Um, so that's all going fine, um, however, uh, an important wrinkle is thrown into the, into the works here when, uh, Greystrife accidentally falls into the river, and he is saved by a river clan cat, named Silverstream, who is the daughter of Cricketstar, the RiverClan leader. Um, and this begins um, a very, like, I'll, I'll get into the specific thoughts later, but like, a very poorly and, and ill-conceived, a uh, very poorly described and ill-conceived romance between Graystripe and Silverstream, where all of a sudden Silverstream is the most important thing in Graystripe's life, and um, he needs to do everything in his power to see her all the time and also protect her at all costs. Um, also, my own cat, um, Genevieve Paw, is uh, scampering around, so apologies if you hear any fun little noises on the mic. Uh, anyway, so there's that little romance that goes on. Graystripe becomes increasingly less interested in training his apprentice or anything. Um, however, um, there is a, uh, a, a significant problem that occurs as, you know, Fireheart is raising, uh, is training Cinderpaw. Um, there is a, an accident where, um, basically, um, 
tiger claw, so, so the, the, mischief, the mischievous and, and evil and, and dastardly tiger claw is still hanging around, and he maybe possibly sets a trap to try to kill Blue Star so that he can become leader, um, which involves luring her to the Thunderpath, which is the road where the cars are, and because she's too headstrong, um, Cinderpaw goes instead, and she is run over by a car and has her leg broken. And the rest of the book is spent, she she survives, but the rest of the book is spent with her recovery. Um, and it becomes the case that her leg becomes unusable and she's unable to continue her warrior training. Um, and so she just kind of hangs out in with Yellowfang the medicine cat for the rest of the book. Um, I don't know if I mentioned that, that Yellowfang from the last book, who was originally a prisoner, uh, is now officially medicine cat after Spotted Leaf died. I think that happened in the last book, but Yellowfang is still here and uh, still the best character, although we will get to that. Um, the one other thing that happens, there's, I guess, like, the kind of middle to late stretch of the book um, is fairly occupied, the sort of, like, all but, the, I guess, like, the second act, you'd call it, all but sort of the last few chapter is really occupied by, like, it's getting to be winter, which they call leaf bear, uh, and there is a sickness that is spreading through um, the cats, the clan cats. Uh, the clan cats got COVID, um, so there is, like, some of them get a cold, and then there's something called white cough, which is not so bad, and then that turns into green cough, which is very bad. And so um, some kits die, um, a bunch of the warriors get it, Blue Star gets green cough and loses another life, which we learn is her eighth of her nine lives, and so she only has one life left. But, um, in large part through, uh, Yellowfang's help, and because, uh, the Fireheart helps her get access to the magical drug called Catnip, which is basically a cure-all in these books, or at least a cure-all for Green Cough. It's like, you know, in the, the Warrior Cats RPG, open-world RPG that we're sort of building out, um, it's like, uh, catnip is like the best healing item in the game. It's like it's like a full restore. It's like a it's like a like a like a, a max elixir. Um, I need to think of healing items that aren't just from Pokemon. Um, but yeah, so um, but they ended up making it through. And one important thing that happens while this is going on is that um, the catnip that Fireheart is going after is found near the two leg place near um, Fireheart's old kitty pet home. Um, and in the process of kind of, you know, being out and about as a warrior, um, Fireheart runs into his sister. Um, there's one of the other cats in the same litter as him, who is named Princess, uh, and she eventually gives birth to Kits, the oldest of whom is named Cloud Kit. And at a climactic moment, sort of as the sickness is in full swing, Princess gives Cloud Kit over to Fireheart um, with the hope that he will be raised as a warrior. Um, the other clan cats are suspicious of this because, yes, um, Fireheart was a kitty pet and turned out great, but, you know, it's another mouth to feed and there's sickness going around and etc. etc. But eventually, um, enough cats sort of decide to give Cloud Kit a, a chance that he becomes like a, a, a full fledged um, clan kit. Um, and we'll see where that goes. Um, then the, uh, the book ends with sort of two main battles, um, because we've always got to end with a battle. Um, the first is the return of the rogue Shadow Clan cats, in particular, um, Crooked Star, not Crooked Star, I always do this, their names are so similar, Broken Star, the old Shadow Clan leader that got kicked out of Shadow Clan. Um, basically he's been like, you know, 
poking and prodding at ThunderClan territory to make ThunderClan think that ShadowClan is invading, um, and in the process of doing so, sort of try to leave the camp, um, like, exposed so that he can, I guess, take it over? Um, he, he's got, like, three guys. Like, this is a very ill-conceived plan, but he tries. Um, but uh, Fireheart and a bunch of the apprentices um, fight him off. Uh, in the process, um, Graystripe kills Clawface, who's one of... Um, Broken Star's other, like, kind of lieutenants, and also the person who killed Spotted Leaf, um, bringing Graystripe's kill count to two in this book. So, um, my man is absolutely on fire. Um, my man is on a killing spree. Um, he's, you know, uh, if anyone, if anyone takes down Graystripe, they're gonna get that shutdown bonus. Um, he is really just, like, fucking on one in this book. Considering, like, I don't know, like, I, I'm, I'm digressing, but, like, killing another cat is seen as, like, a pretty big deal. Like, when Graystripe accidentally kills White Claw, pour one out, um, he, like, everyone takes it really seriously, but, like, Graystripe, and, and they're just like, damn, like, clan cats, like, we, like, we fight and, you know, etc., but, like, clan cats should never be killed in the heat of battle unless there is, like, you know, unless there's no other way. And Graystripe is just fucking knocking them off, just, like, fucking, like, clicking heads throughout this entire book. Um, so honestly, shout-outs to a real one. Graystripe just absolutely going for it. Um, but yeah, so, um, that's the first part of the, of the kind of two big final battles. Um, also in this fight, um, Sandpaw and Dustpaw, who were, uh, Fireheart and Graystripe's fellow apprentices from the last book, um, they are kind of commended for their valor during the fight. Uh, apologies, that was Genevieve. Uh, they are commended for their valor during the fight, and they are raised to the rank of warriors, so we now have them as Sandstorm and Dustpelt. Um, and something else I should mention while we're bringing up Sandstorm and Dustpelt, Dustpelt is still an asshole and still giving Fireheart a hard time for being a kitty pet, or a former kitty pet. However, um, Sandstorm is, uh, is kind of, Sandpaw slash Sandstorm is kind of taking a shine to Fireheart, um, this initially starts when uh, she's uh, he saves her life in a battle, um, but like you know they're starting to they're starting to get along, um, and you know we we get the indication that on top of Graystripe's big romance with Silverstream growing on, that perhaps Fireheart and Sandstorm are starting to become more than friends as well, and then finally the book closes out with a big fight in Wind Clan territory because Real Shadow Clan has teamed up with River Clan, and they have launched an assault on Wind Clan. Who have teamed up with ThunderClan. So we got a big 2v2. Um, everyone's everyone's kind of facing off. Um, a few dramatic things that happen. Um, Fireheart has to stop from fighting Silverstream um, because she's uh, Graystripe's bow. Uh, the two of them are fighting a lot throughout this book, but at the end they're kind of basically like, Graystripe's like, I need to still see her, I love her, but also they're kind of can affirm their commitment to being friends. Also, Fireheart is visited in a dream and told to be wary of an untrustworthy warrior who he thinks is Graystripe, but of course is actually Tigerclaw, who is obviously the villain. Um, and you know, it's getting it's getting more and more obvious that Tigerclaw is being geared up to be like the big villain. He's around all the time. He's mean. He's vicious. There's a part where um, he has the opportunity to save Fireheart's life from the River Clan deputy, but Tigerclaw just kind of lets it happen. Um, so we sort of end off in a pretty similar place that we did at the end of Into the Wild, um, with the notable exceptions, I think, being you know, we have some new cats in the mix. Um, we have, you know, with Sandstorm and Dustpelt being elevated to warriors, um, with Cinderpaw, Brackenpaw, and potentially Cloudkit sort of, you know, 
taking the stage as potential future major players. Um, and then we kind of have this this clan politics going on, where Thunder and Wind clans are sort of loosely united against River and Shadow clans. Um, so you know we've got a, a blue black deck on one side and a and a you know red green deck on the other side. Um, I, I I would need to think about these uh, the actual color identity of the clans, uh, and that would suck to listen to. So let's 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 leave that for now. Um, yeah, that is Fire and Ice. Um, so let's, I'll, let's run through and, and the kind of usual, continue with the usual structure here. Um, I'll talk a little bit about, you know, just like my general thoughts on the book. Um, I, I actually quite like this book. Um, I think it gets off to a pretty slow start. Um, but that the sort of second, like middle third, second act of the book, is really, really good and really compelling for a lot of reasons. Um, overall, I think, like, the series is by far its least interesting um, when it's just kind of a lot of, like, description of things that are happening, and particularly, like, when there's a lot of action scenes all right after another. Like, the first third of this book, when it's just Fireheart and Graystripe going to bring back the Wooden Clan cats, is almost universally, like, a snooze fest. Like, it's just sort of, like, they walked through this bit, they walked through that bit, they avoided the dogs, they avoided the rats, they found Wind Clan, they started walking back, everyone was tired, they walked through this this bit, they rested in the in the two-leg barn, right? Like, you know, it, it's just kind of a, a sequence of events, and it's it's really not very compelling, partially because like none of the Wind Clan cats are really given any characterization. And I think like one of the broad concerns I think this carries over from the first book is, like, there are so many fucking characters, and, like, apologies for having to describe all these people. Part of it is, like, because I'm reading these books and then also doing this, like, you know, recording the episode after each book, like, it's hard for me to know which of these characters are going to be important in the future and which of them aren't. So, like, I am bringing, like, I haven't mentioned, like, Running Wind, who shows up a fair bit in this book, or, like, one whisker or leopard fur, right? Like all, I mean, I, I alluded to leopard fur, but like a lot of characters who are like, you know, brought up a lot, but it's just like, I, I'm trying to avoid extraneous names as much as possible. And you know, when we're introduced to like six wind clan cats all at once, there's absolutely no time to characterize any of them. Like I, I'm trying to think with any sense of like, what care like the wind clan cats broadly are characterized as like quote unquote honorable or whatever and like you know they follow the clan code and everything um but like i don't know like fireheart kind of becomes friends with a wind clan cat named one whisker but like nothing distinguishes one whisker from like any other cat who gets like you know half a dozen lines of dialogue um however that being said when there is character drama and politicking and everything with cats who we actually, like, know and care about and, like, have some clue as to their motivation, um, it's really good. So, like, all of the stuff with Tigerclaw, like, yes, Tigerclaw's, like, a very obvious villain, but, like, at least we know things about him, right? Like, at least we know, like, he's ambitious and he's cunning and he's willing to stop at nothing. And, like, when he does things, it's, like, a little more interesting because we, like, understand where his motivations are coming from. Um, and yeah, I think that, like, will continue to be the, um, the, like, name of the game in the book. And once again, I, I spent a fair bit of time last episode shouting out Yellowfang. Um, Yellowfang continues to be just, like, the best character in the book. Um, she's so, 
like, firstly, I just think, like, the medicine cats are interesting. Like, I always enjoy the parts of the books where it's just like, oh, like, you know, we're, we're going to take it. Like, I think that's part of why I like the second third of this book so much is just like, it's all like the sickness stuff. And so it's a lot of just like, you know, we're using these herbs and we're trying to like keep down a fever and we're trying to like, you know, isolate the cat so that the sickness doesn't spread. And like, I don't know, that stuff is like weirdly really compelling to me. And also Yellowfang's just compelling. Like she's still like a snarky asshole, but like cares a lot for like the people that she's looking after and is like starting to form these like very fierce and close bonds with other cats. Like, Fireheart, of course, but also Cinderpaw. Like, um, after Cinderpaw, um, like, teams up with... Uh, after Cinderpaw, like, loses the use of her leg, um, she sort of becomes Yellowfang's, like, helper, basically. And I, I'm pretty sure they're gearing up to make Cinderpaw the next medicine cat, like, at some point later on in the series. Um, but yeah, just, like, having that back and forth is so fun. There's, like, one specific moment where kind of, like... Um, you know, it's kind of near the end of this, like, sickness arc where Yellow, it's just, like, Yellowfang is just, like, in her den with, with Fireheart, and she just, like, looks off into the distance, and it's just, like, do you think Spotted Leaf would have been able to save the lives that we lost? And, like, it's so refreshing, A, like, to have a part of the book that isn't, like, over-explained, because, like, you know, it's a, it's a kid's book, like, there are lots of segments where they just, like, you know, like, Fireheart does this a lot, and it makes him kind of a boring, you know, narrator and protagonist, is, like, he'll just, like, you know, in, in gruesome detail, just, like, run through every single thought that he's feeling in the moment. But, like, it's so refreshing to just have a character, like, express a sentiment that, like, in a really raw and honestly kind of moving way, just, like, gets at, like, their grief and their exhaustion and their uncertainty. Uh, and it just, like, makes Yellowfang such a good character. Like, like she rules. And, and also we get a reveal um, that Yellowfang is actually um, uh, Broken Star's mother, um, when he attacks, like, she's like, I can't, <laughs> I can't operate on this cat. He's my son. Um, I, I, there's actually a moment where that happens. She blinds him and then she's just like, I can't, I can't kill him. Even though, you know, medicine cats are forbidden from having babies, but like she broke the code and she's like, I was cursed to, you know, have this horrible, my, my horrible, wretched son. Um, my, my, my horrible, horrible boys are, are tormenting me at every turn because, because God hates me for, for birthing him. Um, which, you know, it's goofy, but, like, it's, you know, Yellowfang is a great character. She still has, like, the best, like, pathos and drama and stuff, and it's just, like, the parts with her in it are just, like, the most compelling. So I really hope we get more of her. I really hope we get more of, like, her and Cinderpaw, her and Fireheart, like, definitely the best parts of the book. Um, speaking of this, while we talk about, like, illness and this sort of thing, uh, I've mentioned this before, but just, like, I think it's really, like, it's really cool the ways that this book kind of just, like, really leans into just, like, the, like, capriciousness of nature, um, and just, like, shit happens, and it sucks, and, like, um, there isn't necessarily a cause for it, you just kind of have to deal with it. Like, green cough just happens, and it kills, like, you know, at least two characters. Admittedly, one of them comes back to life, but, like, it kills at least two characters, and it's just, like, there's nothing we could have done about this, right? Like, we did everything we could, and it probably would have been worse if, like, we hadn't gone out and gotten that catnip and stuff, but, like, uh, I, I just think that's cool. Like, I think that's, that's a neat way of just, like, presenting how harsh nature is, um, and I also like, on top of that, how humans two legs, human activity, is also kind of seen as a natural disaster. Like, something that comes up in this book in a kind of oblique way is, like, 
Uh, the reason why River Clan is being so aggressive is because the humans have built a dam, and that means that there aren't as many fish in the river, and so River Clan cats are going hungry. And that's another thing where it's like, humans are just like a force of nature, right? Like, you can't control what they're doing, you can't understand their motivations, you don't even know if they have motivations, like, who knows why humans do the things they do. Um, they're just like, you know, it's just happening. Uh, and I just find that really compelling. Like, it's like, yeah, no, like, shit just happens around us, like, we can only control our own actions, and, like, yeah, we might, like, suffer or lose lives because of the actions of other cats, but we might just suffer and lose lives because nature is capricious, and nature includes humans. Um, I don't know, I think it's just, like, ecologically, I think this book has, like, a lot to say. Um, maybe not a lot to say, I just, I just like, I, I, I think it's, it's a cool perspective, and, like, whenever you get to books that have talking animals, I feel like an easy criticism is, like, you know, oh, why, why are these the animals that have sentience, right? Like, you know, why, why, why cats? And if cats have sentience, why are we, why are we not supposed to expect that, like, mice or rabbits or voles or dogs have sentience, right? Which, like, pretty explicitly dogs are seen as just, like, you know, violent beasts who who are just kind of, like, mindless in this book. Um, but I think, like, part of what makes me less, like, think that's less of a problem is just that, like, I think the ecological stuff is, is like, interesting. And I think, like, uh, the book does a very good job of, like, even though these cats have, like, sapience to them and are making decisions, they are still very much just, like, a part of nature and, you know, subject to the whims of nature and, and to the same kind of random forces that, that happen to everyone else. Um, one other thing on this point that I did want to mention in a little bit more of a critical way is... Um, uh, it concerns Cinderpaw and the whole, like, her, her leg getting broken situation. Um, I am going to be very interested to see how the book handles this going forward. Um, like, both with, like, how it treats her disability and kind of, like, where they take her character going forward. Um, because, firstly, this is a book that, like, has and is I, I have no doubt is going to continue having a lot of injury and disability and etc in it right like these are very violent books these are books about like like i just said the capriciousness of nature where like shit can happen to you at any time and like you can lose your legs or like you know we see crooked star go uh, he's crooked tail now by the way uh, crooked stars they 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 don't call him crooked star anymore because he's no longer like a, a leader anyways crooked tail like he uh like i said yellow fang blinds him and so that's another like disability that's like maybe that will come up um and like i, I as much as i said i'm excited for yellow fang and cinder paws interactions um because i like them both as characters i do think that, that the whole like tr trope of like taking a disabled character and sort of like shoving them into the like healer or mystic or seer role um is like a really like time worn and pretty ableist trope of like you know it, it is like obviously one step above the um like you know treating people like like kind of the the direct like ableism of of like you know treating people with disabilities as, as not being worthwhile but it is still like in like infected with a lot of the ableism that like you know surrounds the, the those more those other like tropes like and this happens a lot like i don't know i i'm not a comics person but like the first thing that comes to mind is like the the barbara gordon stuff where like she you know 
it's it gets like severely disabled by the Joker and then like ends up in uh, as a wheelchair user and sort of becomes the like the the, the, the like eyes and ears for Batman. I'm I don't know the specifics. This is just like stuff that I've read. Um, but this is a thing that happens a lot. And so like I I'm basically like I'm curious where this will go from here. I think it's very like easy to sort of like remove disabled people from or or in this case disabled cats from the spotlight by just like the nature of their disabilities and i get that this is a bit of a complicated case because like you know these are not humans with access to like you know modern assistive technologies like these are cats um but it's something that and you know i i should preface or postface all of this by saying like you know i'm not an expert in any of this stuff it's just like these are tropes that I've seen a lot because they're very common in media, and I'm just, like, interested in seeing uh, how they play out. Um, and then, lastly, and possibly most importantly for now, because it's going to tie into our discussion of our second piece of media, romance is in, baby! Romance is in the air. It is romance season, except instead of being spring, it is winter, um, because that's just what it is in this book. Um... I think I mentioned obliquely in the first episode that, like, I was interested in seeing where romance gets to because it wasn't in the first book at all, and I remember it being a big part of the series, and here we go. It is here, and in a huge way. Um, the Grey Stripe Silverstream stuff. Some classic Romeo and Juliet, um, ThunderClan and RiverClan. They, they, you know, cannot be together, and yet they are in love. The classic, you know, Romeo and Juliet shit. Um, I think it's is really bad in this book. I think that it's, like, just... Part of the issue is because, like, Silverstream is not even... Like, she's she's barely even a one-dimensional character. Like, like she's hardly a character at all. She's just sort of, like, a like a body who Greystripe can just, like, you know, have the hots for. She just, like, has absolutely nothing to do aside from, I don't know being a daddy as a girl as Crooked Star's daughter, like, th- there's nothing to her character whatsoever. And we have absolutely no indication of why Greystripe is attracted to her, other than that she saved his life, which, like, sure, but, you know, that's a lot of cats save a lot of other cats' lives in this book. Their lives get at risk a lot. Um, anyways, like, it's been one book, and I think part of my frustration is, like, how much of this book it occupied, and how frustrating it was. Because, like, you know, I get it. it, you know, people do, people do silly things for romance, but, like, it is really dumb just how, like, how absolutely, like, not thinking with his head Graystripe is throughout this entire book, and, you know, those kinds of friend arguments can be really, they can be really effective if pulled off right, but also really frustrating if not pulled off well. And I think Graystripe's motivation for, like, seeing Silverstream is so weak to us, the reader, because Silverstream is absolutely fucking nothing, um, that, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it really doesn't hit for me, the whole, like, conflict between Fireheart and Graystripe. Um, I guess we'll see where this goes. It's not too late to actually make Silverstream something of a character. The issue is that, like, Fireheart almost never interacts with her, so we don't see any of that from his perspective. Uh, but it could happen in the future, maybe, who knows. Um, however, uh, the other kind of romance that's that's bubbling up throughout this book, which is the um, Fireheart-Sandstorm romance, um, I like a lot better. Um, it's, you know, it's much slower paced. It doesn't get to anything explicit. 
it's just sort of hints at like, oh, like Fireheart maybe has some feeling, like weird feelings for Sandstorm and Sandstorm is being a lot like nicer to him than usual. And he's like kind of enjoying her company and stuff. Like, yeah, they have a lot of time to like really develop both of them as characters. Uh, Sandstorm is, is, is much better sketched out than, than uh, Silverstream is. She's, you know, like defiant and she's a little sassy. Uh, which I guess is its own thing, but like it's it's something. It's it's more character than Silverstream has. Um, so yeah, I am interested to see where that goes, and I am especially interested in talking about romance because this week, no month, month. We do these monthly. Um, this month, I also watched a TV show by the name of The Ultimatum, a reality TV show. Um, put out on Netflix, I think produced by Netflix, thank you, thank you Netflix for just absolutely poisoning our brain with the, the, the worst reality TV you can imagine, um, and it is called The Ultimatum. Um, so let's talk a little bit about The Ultimatum, and then maybe try to find some 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 middle ground, some connecting ground between these two pieces of media. Um, so The Ultimatum, like I said, it's hosted by Nick and Vanessa Lachey, who also hosted Love is Blind. Apparently Nick Lachey is a former boy band star. People keep telling me this. I regret, regretfully had very few boy bands in my adolescent life, so I, I will just take everyone's word for it. Um, and, you know, Love is Blind was a, was a show that, you know, had a pretty, like, pretty, pretty, like, simple premise like you might not like its premise might not be very good or, or might not like actually lead to good relationships but the idea of like you can have a stronger relationship with someone by focusing on like non-physical characteristics first it's like yeah i can see how you get to a show from that what i cannot see is how you get to the ultimatum which is basically you have six couples in each couple one of the partners wants to get married and one of them doesn't so the one that wants to get married issues an ultimatum and says if we don't get married, we will break up. And they go on a show to firstly all meet each other and then swap partners for a month, have a trial run with one of the other people in the house. Um, or, I mean, one of the other people on the show. They don't all stay in the same house. Um, and then do a month with their original partner and then decide whether they want to get married or not. Um, this is a, a catastrophic show that absolutely should never have been made for a number of reasons. Firstly, it's, like, just nonsensical why you would do this. Like, I, at the start, uh, Nick Lachey is like, now, ultimatums might not be the best way of, of figuring out what you want in a relationship. And they could have just stopped the show there after the first, like, eight minutes and been like, oh, okay, yeah, and so we decided not to air this show. Um, people get into really dumb fights. Um, there's a ton of emotional arguments. Uh, two of the couples don't even make it to the ultimatum stage. They just, like, propose right then and there um, because they're too nervous about seeing their partner with someone else. Um, the amount of, like, heterosexual, like, monoamorous, monogamous, like, jealousy is absolutely astounding uh, and leads to some horrible decisions. Um, beyond that, uh, these people are all babies. Most of them are in their 20s. Some of them are in their early 20s. Um, and perhaps most, like, forcefully, this is a show that is absolutely about, you know, rigidly enforcing cultural norms and the norms of heterosexual relationships, um, start dating, move in together, get engaged, get married, have two kids, get a house, repeat the cycle, right? Um, 
Like, this is very much a show where, like, you have a 23-year-old who is like, I want to get married and I want to get married now, and seems to want to get married solely for the perp, just, like, for the sake of getting married, with no thought to, like, what it actually means or whether she's ready for it or whether her partner is ready for it, but just because, like, the thing to do is, is to get married. Um, and so we get, I would say, a pretty grim look at, like, the nature of relationships. I think all of these relationships are pretty, like, um, like, destined to fail. There's just not a lot of, like, there's very little love displayed on this show between any of the partners. Um, and, um, yeah, it is a reality show train wreck. Um, so what might, um, what might we take away from this, uh, and apply to The Warrior Cat's second book, Fire and Ice, which I know when you all watch your reality shows is the first thing on your mind. Fuck, I should have done Tiger King this month. Because I finished watching season one, it's, fuck, I should have talked about Tiger King. It would have been, actually, I don't know if there would have been as much to say. It would have been perfect, though. We had Tiger Claw. I could have done, I saw the tiger claw, and the tiger claw saw a man. Uh, it would have been perfect. It would have been so many bits. But I'm uh, 36 minutes, 30, almost 37 minutes into this episode, and um, you bet your fucking ass I'm not going to re-record it. And god damn it, I want to talk about the ultimatum. What was I saying? Um, I'm sure when you go watch your Netflix reality shows, you always think about, um, you know, how um, how can I apply this to my to my warrior understanding of the Warrior Cat series? Um I think the first one is obvious, and I, I won't go talk about it too much more because I've mentioned it at length. Um, romance for romance's own sake, and like, you know, heterosexual coupling for heterosexual coupling's own sake. Um, you know, this is the gray stripe and silver stream problem as much as it is the Jake and April from the ultimatum problem. Um, these are people who, um, you know, at least in the Warrior Cat series, it's their fictional characters. And so we look to the Aaron Hunters, in this case to Kate Carey, who wrote the book, and we think, why did they put such a like obnoxious and shoe-fisted romance, ham-fisted romance into this novel? Uh, and I think partially it's because, you know, it does heighten the drama 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 of the like clan politics that are going on, um, and sort of like further drives a wedge, it, like, like, complicates the whole Thunder Clan River Clan thing, um, which, which I can understand, um, but I think there is a part of it that is just like, oh, you need to have a romance because, you know, these, these cats need to start being romances, and certainly, like, the Fireheart Sandstorm stuff is just, like, even if it is better written, is very much like, oh, you just need to have a romance, like, Fireheart's our main character, upstanding guy, he, he needs to get wifed up, right? Um, just like, you know, April on the ultimatum is like, I need a husband. Kate Carey is like, Fireheart, the cat, uh, he needs a wife. Um, and so I think, like, so much of what goes into, like, media production is just, like, romance for its own sake. Um, completely ignoring that, like, for example, the Fireheart-Graystripe relationship is so much more romantic, has so much more drama, and, like, has so many more of the hallmarks of, like, a good, interesting couple. Obviously, the cats, the cats can't be gay. Um, that would be against God's law. Um, but, like, 
it, it, the, the, the kind of like, I, I'm not saying anything particularly original here, but like, yes, um, the need to have like heterosexual coupling off is like extremely powerful. Um, but more than that, like something that I really took away from the ultimatum was like how hard it is to escape like cultural gravity if that's what you're embedded in. Like, it would be so hard to go up to one of the couples from the ultimate and be like, you don't have to do this, you know? Like, especially one of the couples that gave the ultimatum, you can be like, you can just wait for two or three years. You can just, like, like you do not need to get married now, right? Like, that will not fundamentally change your life. Um, and I think we can also apply this to the Warrior Cats, like, books in a different way and just think about, like, the way that, like, certain practices are so embedded into the lives of these cats. Um, and so, like, I think the stuff that comes up with um, Fireheart's sister princess and her wanting her, her kit to be raised in the clans is really interesting because, like, there is a degree of it that is, like, you know, wh wherever that decision comes from, princess is like, I want my kit to escape the cultural gravity of just, like, you know, being a pet and for, you know, his kids to be pets and their kids to be pets. Like, I want something more or different from this, um, which is interesting. And, like, I think, obviously, it's it's a lot easier to do this kind of thing in fiction than in reality TV, um, because, like, you know, in, in fiction, you're, you're trying to create drama by having your characters, like, make these decisions and break away from cultural norms. Um, but, like, I think it is interesting that, like, you know, a lot of the, a lot of, like, drama in Warrior Cats comes from, like, you know, codes and principles and sets of, like, morals and values and the ways that these things are twisted. Like, you know, there's a Warrior Cats code. We've never seen it written out, but theoretically it exists. Um, I'm sure in one of the source materials it's been written out. But, like, all of the drama comes from the ways that the Warrior Cats code is, like, defied and, you know the way convention is, is fought against. Um, and I think it's interesting to compare that against reality TV, which in a lot of cases is about, like, you know, maintaining the cultural status quo, because, like, that's what's most familiar for viewers. Um, so, yes, at the end of the day, um, Fireheart and Princess and Yellowfang and Blue Star all have, you know, lead more, fuller, richer interesting lives than any of the contestants on The Ultimatum do in real life. Um, and that is simply the way, the way it, it goes. Um, do I have any other thoughts about either this book, Fire and Ice, or The Ultimatum? I don't think so. Uh, I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Um, this was a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of fun doing these. Um, if you're listening, um, thanks. You don't have to, but like, I, I do I do this for me, but if anyone else wants to listen, then uh, that's great. And uh, if you want to get in touch, if you liked the show, if you didn't like the show, uh, you can leave a comment. Um, we're on uh, we're on Apple, Apple iTunes. Um, you know, last time I said... Uh, Apple iTunes? What the fuck? Apple Podcasts. Um, last time I said something about, like, you know, don't bother leaving a review, which is true. I'm not gonna, like, every podcast is like, leave a five-star review. Uh, I I'm not gonna, like, make you, 
but if you want to, you can. Um, also, if you just want to like leave a review to comment, uh, you can do that. Um, you can also get in touch with me um, at a sweeter potato on Twitter. I don't know if I actually said that last time. I'm probably gonna delete my Twitter soon. Um, but like, so 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 hurry up on that um, if you do want to like message me. Um, but I'm also um, launching a Patreon, um, which w w is actually already launched. I just haven't advertised it. Uh, you could very well be be listening to this episode on on said Patreon because I'm hosting, uploading all of these there. In addition to uploading like some of the writing I do, uh, that's Patreon.com/slash a sweeter potato. I think. Hang on. Um, let me let me let me check that that is actually the link. Um, Patreon.com/slash a sweeter potato. What? No, that's not. It's not. That's not it. What? 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 What's the? What's my Patreon? Hang on. Uh, oh yes, 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 yes. It's patreoncom slash Lilith. Um, that's that's so much better. That's so much easier to remember. Uh, thanks for going on that journey with me. It is patreoncom slash Lilith. Um, and I actually, you know what? That's where you should get in touch with me. Leave me a comment. All of the all of the uh, posts are up there. They're all free. You don't have to pay for any of this shit. I just put it on Patreon because it's a place to put it. Uh, go follow my Patreon. You don't have to give me any money. You can if you want. I'll probably just use it to buy magic cards. I don't know. Um, but um, yeah, uh, leave, leave a comment if if you wanna if you wanna say hi. If you want to, um, I don't know. Leave leave a comment. Uh, tell me what you thought. Uh, tell, tell me what you thought. If you read these books, if you didn't read these books, uh, yeah, leave. That, that's my that's fucking call to action shit right here. I uh, don't don't leave a five star review. Fuck five star reviews. Leave a one star review. Leave a one star review saying I fucking hate this shit, and then go to my Patreon and leave a nice comment saying actually, just kidding. I love this shit. D don't actually leave a one star review. That's that's probably bad. Uh. But, 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 but forget the reviews, just, just go to Patreon and, and comment and say hi, or, or to say something interesting, I don't know. Um, I mean, that's good, because then I know who's listening. Um, so if you do that, uh, I'll know you're listening. Uh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> cool. Um, I think that truly is everything, um, that I have today. Um, and... Uh, next, next time, next, next month, next, next episode, uh, I'm going to be reading, uh, Forest of Secrets, uh, the third book in The Prophecies Begin, uh, and I am also going to, as always, do something else, um, and I have some ideas as to what that might be, but at the end of the day, uh, we never know what it'll be until we get there, um, and, um, yeah, maybe it'll be Tiger King, I don't know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'll be like, you know what? It was, it was always Tiger King. Um, cool. Um, well, thanks so much for hanging out. I've been January Lilith. Um, pour one out for White Claw. And uh, stay frosty, my dudes. <laughs>